thank you, Mitchell family. I'm a little envious because Dexter can also preach. And I've had people ask me, so preacher, when are you going to sing? Well, I got some good news. I'm not going to. And those of you that know me know that's really good news. But super job. Thank you, guys. And Kim, thank you for singing. I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The title of the message is, Whose Are You? I really want to start by asking the question, do you know who you are? I don't hear too many women saying they have to go find themselves, but what is it about men at midlife, we have to go find ourselves, and why do we think we're stranded on a desert island somewhere? I'm going to have to go to Hawaii to find myself, because I'm pretty sure I've never been there before, but maybe that's where I am. Do you know who you are? Lily Tomlin said, I've always... Wanted to be somebody, but I see now I should have been more specific. (laughs) Do you know who you are? I was eating a Cracker Barrel one day and had a couple of guys with me. We were coaching a baseball team at the time, and I had my back to the kitchen, and they were sitting across from me, and they asked a question that a lot of people have wondered at Cracker Barrel. They asked our waitress, what do all those stars on your apron mean? Well, as you can tell, I like to talk. And so I didn't allow her to answer the question. I knew the answer. I just start, I just jumped right in because I'd asked the question before. And I said, well, those stars, it takes you about six months to get one of those stars. You've got to do things like memorize the menu and, you know, you've got to earn it. In fact, I actually met a waitress at our Merle's Inlet Cracker Barrel who had lost one of her stars. I don't know if they have a ceremony for that or something where drums are going. They're going, all right, you're back, get back to work. But you'll see them with four stars, and then they get a different colored apron. All of those show progress in the company, and they've, and it, they've gotten advancements and that kind of thing in the company. Well, I started sharing all that, and the girl looked at me, and she said, I know who you are. I'm like, oh, really? Who, who am I? She said, you're a manager from another Cracker Barrel. And I thought, you know, I just happen to know some information, so you've pegged me as a manager from the other Cracker Barrel. And I said, I'm really not a manager from the other Cracker Barrel. She said, I don't believe you. She walks off. Well, about that time, the guys I'm sitting across the table from said, don't look. Well, what do you do when somebody tells you not to look? You turn around and look. I look, and she's bringing people out of the back of the kitchen and pointing at our table. And I know what she's telling them. She's saying, uh, y'all better sharpen up here. There's a manager from another Cracker Barrel. He's here grading us. So this other waitress walks up and says, I, I hear you're a manager from another Cracker Barrel. <laughs> I said, I'm not. I said, as a matter of fact, I'm a preacher. And she said, you better not be lying if you're a preacher. I'm like, so it's okay to lie if you're not a preacher, but if you're a preacher, you better not be lying. I said, I, I'm, not, I'm not lying. So the rest of the meal, I'm trying to convince this girl, I'm just a preacher. I just happen to know some information. Well, I couldn't resist as we're walking out the door. I asked the ladies, we're paying our bill. I said, have you got a piece of paper and a pen? I'd like to write a note to Lisa, our waitress. She said, sure. I said, would you give this to her? So I just wrote a note, and I said, you're right. I am a manager from another Cracker Barrel. And I signed it, C period Barrel. I thought, you know, she's saying, we had Mr. Barrel in the store today. So I, so I don't know if you struggle with knowing who you are and if you've ever asked other people, who do you think I am? And as your mom or dad, have you ever walked out of the door when you were younger and your mom or dad said, remember who you are? Remember whose you are? 
That's what I want you to remember today. Point of the message at the end you're going to see is that we need to glorify God. And I hope in this message to explain why we need to glorify God. And then more specifically at the end, how that's possible. As a fallen creature, how I can even myself bring glory to God. Let let me start by reading the first few verses of the passage. And in chapter 6, Paul has started by basically encouraging them to quit taking each other to court. In fact, he says, you know what? You're going to help judge the world someday. So why are you turning these matters over to the court system? Settle it in the church. And then he gets to verse 12. And he said, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food. But God will do away with both of them. Yet, the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. Now, God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Paul starts off, in fact, in this passage, you're going to see two Corinthian sayings. Two things that were said widely in that culture. And let me remind those of you that hadn't been here for the other messages. Corinth was a wicked city. Racked by sin. In fact, there was a popular turn of the day to say, you've been Corinthianized. In other words, once you slipped into just the wickedness of the city, basically they say, hey, we got you. You've been Corinthianized. Now, I don't know. I've driven down. I've seen churches like, you know, Corinth Baptist Church. I'm like, why would you name your church after this town? Sorry if some of you go to that church. Not as bad as the one I saw in West Virginia. Big Bottom Baptist Church. It was right beside Dunkin' Donuts, so that might have explained it. But I found out actually there was a creek running through there called Big Bottom Creek, so that's where the name came from. It scared me a little bit. But Paul uses a Corinthian term, and here's what he said, all things are lawful for me. Well, in Christ there is liberality, okay? But here's what the Corinthians had done. They had pressed it further to basically say, you know what, I'm forgiven. So I can do whatever I want to, because I'm already forgiven. Well, the truth of the matter is, if you are forgiven, if you're a child of God, you are forgiven. But your life will demonstrate that. And so what Paul says is, all things may be lawful, but they're not all profitable. What does he mean? He's saying, not all of them are for my advantage. Listen, sin never brings profit. The Bible says, sin is fun for a season. What does that mean? Hey, it might be enjoyable for a few seconds or minutes, but sin always takes you further than you went, meant to go. Sin lies. It always brings loss. So Paul uses one of their familiar terms that says, all things may be lawful, but listen to me, all things are not to your advantage. In fact, he's going to be real specific in just a few minutes about some of the things they were doing in the church that obviously were not for their advantage, and he's going to tell them why it wasn't for their advantage. But Paul puts it in, capsulizes and said, I won't be mastered by anything. Jesus is my Lord. I'm not going to give control of my life over to anything else, whether it be in a minute he's going to talk about food. I'm not going to let food master me. Or I'm not going to let some of the activities going on in the church to master me. It's not going to control me. It may be lawful, but it's not profitable. In claiming his freedom, a man may bring himself into bondage to the very thing he's serving. So be careful, church. 
He goes on to verse 13 to say, food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food. Okay? The, the purpose of food is to feed the belly. In fact, the word's also just cavity. Some of us do a better job of filling the cavity than others. But food's for the belly and the belly's for food. Okay, we get that. But what is Paul going to say? But it's all temporal. Those things are not going to last. I had a secretary one time ask me, is there going to be food in heaven? And I said, well, you know, I don't know. I know there's, it talks about the marriage feast, the wedding feast of the Lamb. And she said, oh. I said, well, what's wrong? She said, my kids don't like lamb. I was like, I don't think that's what they're serving. Food's for the stomach. Stomach is for food. Basically, the Corinthians just decided, you know what? Anything that I feed the body, it's all okay because it's just the body. The problem is they were also feeding the body immorality. So, yes, food's for the body. The body's for food. But understand something. Foods and your stomach will be done away with. The body, he's going to talk about it in a minute, is something that's going to be raised just like Christ. And so he says, although the food and the body, excuse me, the, the belly and the food are transient, the body was not meant for immorality. The body was not meant for sin, but it was meant for the Lord. And get in mind what the word Lord, let me teach you a Greek word this morning, it's the word kurios. It means supreme in authority. It means boss. It means master. So when Paul says, Jesus Christ is my Lord, he is saying he is my boss, my master. He's supreme in authority. I'm not. So although you may have some rights, you're not going for God's best if you're involving the body in immorality. And then last in verse 14, he says, he not only raised the Lord, but it will also raise us up through his power. What's he saying? Body's important. Jesus was bodily resurrected. And people say, well, what is my body going to look like after the resurrection? I don't know. But it's going to be incorruptible. The body that we have now is a body racked by sin and the consequence of sin. One day when I see Jesus face to face, I'm going to be changed. In the twinkling of an eye. And I'm going to have a new body. But I think I'm still going to look a lot like me. When Jesus was raised from the dead, they didn't immediately recognize him. And yet he still had nail prints in his hands. But if you've lost a body part, God can take care of that. If you've been cremated, I hear some people ask me, Pastor, what, what about people that are cremated? I think God can put all the molecules back together. Because we know that we will all be raised. If you're a believer, if you're a child of God, you're all going to be raised in the last day. So the body's not for immorality. Don't be subjecting your body in this earth to immorality. Because it wasn't meant for that. In fact, just the opposite of that. It was meant to bring glory to God. Let me read the next little section, 15 through 20. And he says this three times. It's real interesting. In this passage... Just this chapter, he says it six times. But three times in the passage I'm about to read. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. 
flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Verse 19, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Three times in this passage he says, Do you not know? It's the word that means to see or to know. Have you not got this? This is something. This is common knowledge. You ought to know this, that we are members of Christ. The church, the called out one, literally means we're part of the body of Christ. We're called out, set apart for God. And he says, so how in the world would you take something that belongs to God and try to join it to a harlot? In fact, he goes back to Genesis chapter 2 at that picture of the very first wedding when God brings Adam and Eve together and he says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. The word means to glue and they shall become one flesh. What you need to understand is the intimacy of that relationship in marriage is a God thing. God created sexual intimacy. But when you take it outside the bounds of marriage, you're you're messing up because the two are becoming one flesh. This paper is one single piece of paper. When you join yourself to another, you become one. How can you separate this? The only way I can separate this paper is to tear it. And that's painful when there's people involved. The problem, church, is when inside the church people are doing immoral things outside of marriage. You're becoming one flesh with somebody God never intended you to become one flesh with. And especially if that happens repeatedly, over and over with different people. We'll talk about marriage a little bit more next week. But Paul gives some pretty graphic language that you're becoming one with this person that's not your wife. But instead, you ought to understand you've been joined to the Lord. Same word, you've been glued to Jesus. And again, remember something. He's writing to people inside the church. He's writing to people who claim the name of Christ. They're part of the church and, in fact, part of the body of Christ. He says you've joined yourself to him, so therefore you're now one spirit with him. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That I'm now linked, glued, joined to Christ. Then in verse 18, he says, flee immorality. The word that he's using for immorality is the word pornea. We get the word pornography from that. But it was any sexual sin, any sexual immorality. Every other sin in Scripture that I've seen, we stand against. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you, right? Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. There's only one sin I see in Scripture that we run from, and it's sexual immorality. Why? Because it is so strong. Run away from it. Best picture of this was Joseph. Joseph sold into slavery by his brothers. He was sold to a guy named Potiphar. He was basically a servant of Pharaoh. You remember the story? Potiphar's wife, day after day, begged, seduced Joseph. Come lay with me. And Joseph said, no way. I wouldn't do that. 
The guy that I serve here, namely Potiphar, first of all, has put me in charge of everything. There's only one thing I don't have control over, and that's you. Not, I'm not messing with you. But more than that, I serve a God who says that's wrong. And I've heard guys kind of snicker about this and think, man, you know, if some girl was throwing herself at me, she must have been an ugly woman. No. No, she was probably a beautiful woman. But Joseph saw the sin as ugly. In fact, when nobody was else in the house, she grabbed on to Joseph and was like trying to force him to lay down with her. And it says he left his cloak in her hand and ran out. That's what it means to flee immorality. It doesn't mean to play with it. It doesn't mean to argue with it. It doesn't mean to reason with it, debate, or or try to explain. Or worse than that, try to rationalize. In our human thoughts, we're kind of rationalizing. Well, this is... This is okay. I mean, this feels right. This No. Listen, if it's against God, it's not okay. And you can't rationalize it. So don't stand there and argue with it. Flee immorality. And Paul gets specific because every other sin is outside the body. This one comes from within the body. You're sinning against your own body. Men and women, when we commit that sin before marriage... We're even sinning against our future marriage partner. Because the two should become one flesh. If you've been experiencing and giving yourself to somebody else, you don't have yourself to give anymore. Fully and completely. Now, there's forgiveness in Christ. There's restoration in Christ. But there's still mental images and consequences that you'll bear the rest of your life. So that's why it's so important to flee immorality. So Paul says... To flee immorality. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? I've tried this thought before, back when I was speaking to teenagers a lot. Just like, listen, if if anything gets too hot and heavy and you think you're about to go too far, I hope you see my face. And that scared a lot of them. I mean, I thought that thing, man, that'll, that'll ruin the mood. Well, here's what I want you to think even more than that. The next time you're about to do something you shouldn't do, I want you to understand God's there. If you're a child of God, the Spirit of God lives in you, and He's there. You're not doing something in secret. Even if you're by yourself and you're thinking, nobody will ever know what I'm looking at, what I'm doing. God knows. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I love the specific word they use here for temple. It doesn't mean the temple precinct, because in the Holy Land, the temple, we, all, we pretty much consider that the whole temple mount area, temple precincts, but he uses a specific word here that literally means the sanctuary. Your body's the Holy of Holies. Why? Because it's where the Spirit of God dwells. You're not your own. He goes on to say, you've been bought with a price. Men and women, listen, if we would live our lives with that understanding that We don't get to make those decisions because we're not our own anymore. We have a supreme commander. We've been bought with a price. There's a price paid for you. And what is that price? It was the very life of Jesus Christ on the cross. He died for you. Therefore, verse 20, because you're not your own, because you were bought with a price, you belong to God now. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Now, I want to go back to verse 11. It's right in the middle of the passage, right in the middle of the chapter, 
It's right before the passage that I've just kind of walked us through. And I want to get specific then about how we're able to do or why we can do that. Folks, I'm a sinner. Now, I've been saved by grace. But Paul says in Ephesians, this body is still in the process of being corrupted. How can I glorify God in this body? What does it mean to glorify? I've heard a lot of definitions this week. I've tried to really encapsulate that, but one of them would be this. One of them would be to shine a spotlight. When I glorify Christ, I'm shining a spotlight on Jesus so that you can see him for who he really is. The word also means esteem or estimate or the honor representing honor resulting from a good reputation. I want you to think about this. As you glorify God in your body, it means that everything you do, in fact, we'll get to 1 Corinthians 10, but for those of you who won't be here then, 1 Corinthians 10 says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, glorify Christ. Do all for the glory of God. So everything I do ought to shine a light back on Jesus so that people see him as he really is. In fact, I like the way one person said it. It's not like a microscope. A microscope allows you to see things that are really tiny as though they're bigger. It's more like a telescope. We're seeing something that is huge, and the telescope helps us to see it a little bit more like it really is, still not fully comprehending it. But that's what we do when we bring glory to God. We allow people to see God for who he really is. How do we do that then? Verse 11. He finishes, he just listed this whole list of sinful activity. And he says, some of you were those people, but, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. That little three-letter word, but, he uses it often in this verse, Three times to basically show this huge contrast. That's who you used to be. Folks, if we had to wear the sign of all the sin that we've ever committed, I need more than one page. That's not who I am anymore. First thing he says is, but you were washed. What does that mean? It means that God's cleansed me. I have been regenerated. Jesus didn't die to make me a better person. He died to make me a brand new person. I've been washed. I'm not the same anymore. Speaks of new life. But you were sanctified. What does that word mean? It means to make holy. It's really the root of the word that we get the word holy from. You've been set apart to God. You've been sanctified. Now, Paul will explain other places that sanctification is still at work. God's still working on me. But the day I came to Christ, he began a work that he's promised to bring to fulfillment. I've been sanctified. It speaks of new behavior. It speaks of change. Your life before Christ was characterized by running and embracing sin. Your life after Christ, you're running from sin. But more than that, you're running to a holy, loving God. You're sanctified. And then the third word he uses, but you were justified. Justified is a legal term. It means you've been acquitted. It means that you were brought up on charges, that there was plenty of evidence to convict you. Because the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 
And Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. Listen, without Christ, I'm acquitted. I am I'm not acquitted. I'm guilty. I'm a sinner separated from God. And I deserve death. But the rest of Romans 6.23 says this, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I love that little three-letter word. In Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about the fact that I was dead in my trespasses and sins. But God made us alive together with Him through Christ. For by grace you're saved. But God. Folks, apart from God, I'm guilty. But in Christ, these three things are true about me. Now, I want you to think about, who's he writing that to? He's writing that to some wicked, living people that were part of the church in Corinth. He's writing it to believers who are brand new Christians who are still living in the old life. Paul had been there for 18 months as their pastor. He's been gone now about five years. Apollos has taken over. So he's not writing this to the outside the church. He's writing this to church people. All I'm saying that for is... That ought to give us hope. That Paul is saying, even to people involved in the activity that he's about to describe, he says, you need to quit doing what you're doing. That's not you anymore. It's not who you are. You need to know whose you are. You belong to Christ. You've been washed. You don't have to play with that stuff anymore from your past because it's in your past. It's gone. And when Satan throws it up in your face... And says, God doesn't love you. Look at what you've done. Next time Satan reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. It ain't bright. But Satan still lies to you. Listen, what is the truth about you? You've been washed. You've been sanctified. You've been justified. A church, June 17th, Father's Day, Garden City Chapel, year 2012, saying the same thing to you. If you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, You've been washed. You've been sanctified. There's a change that has taken place in your life. You're not the same. And God's began a work in you that he's promised to bring about to completion. Here's the good news. You're justified. I heard a preacher one time say, just as if, just, justified means just as if I'd never sinned. It's really better than that. Justified means just as if I'd always done everything right. Why? Because when God looks at me, He sees the righteousness of Christ. Why? Because I'm his child. I've been forgiven because of the blood shed on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And I'm now justified. And understand how that happened? It happened in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Whose are you and who are you? You're a joint heir with Christ. You're a child of the King. A child of God. And you belong to him. Pray with me. Bow our heads. Father, thank you for the truth. And yet, God, we live in a corrupt world that still lies to us. God, would you help impress this passage, these verses on our mind this week as we live out a Christian life that, Lord, we desire for you to receive glory by the way we live our lives. And yet, God, that seems so daunting. In fact, without you, it is impossible. And yet, with you, it's who we are. We're a child of the King, a joint heir with Christ. We've been washed, sanctified, and justified. 
Remind us of that every day as we live our life. To shine a bright light on you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to speak to someone about your...